Hello, everyone. Jody Heiss with you. Honored to be bringing another episode of the Freedom Caucus podcast. Welcome aboard. So glad to have you joining us today. And I'm really excited with the direction the program is going to be taking today. I've got a very, very special guest with me that uh, um, many of you will know him. If you don't know him, you'll certainly know the work that he does and the organization that he represents. Uh, Tim Chapman is here with me. Uh, He is right in the middle of so much that takes place right here in Washington, D.C. and in the Beltway, but primarily reaching out to you. He is the executive director and original co-founder of Heritage Action of America. Heritage Action, as many of you know, is located here in Washington, D.C., but they literally connect to activists all across the country, and they are dedicated to restoring our conservative principles uh, and serving as a voice for reason and sound policy for those of us serving here in Congress. Uh, And I just have to say, they literally do an outstanding job. But Tim is an extremely experienced and a distinguished voice in the conservative movement. Uh, He served as the key advisor in the U.S. Senate. And this is a very powerful part of your bio, Tim. You were the chief of staff to former Heritage Foundation president, Ed Fulner. That's huge. Thank you for joining us, Tim. We're glad to have you on the Freedom Caucus podcast. Oh, well, thank you for having me, Congressman. It's uh, fantastic to be here. And, you know, the the Freedom Caucus is um, an organization that is near and dear to our hearts at Heritage Action. I, I remember the founding of the Freedom Caucus. I remember the Freedom Caucus really springing from the Republican Study Committee in many ways. Right. Um, you know, you mentioned Ed Fulner. Ed Fulner founded the Republican Study Committee, which in its day was really the Freedom Caucus of uh, of of the conference, and um, and we've always, you know, following Ed's lead, um, been wanting to pair with activists, legislators who are really concerned about the future of the country. The Freedom Caucus does that, so it's great to be on board here. And well, thank you, and, and you are right. The Freedom Caucus certainly fills that void, and you know, I had the distinct honor just last weekend to be at a, a regional conference with Heritage Action in Atlanta, uh, and I tell you, just. Um, from two perspectives, number one, their appreciation for the Freedom Caucus. I can't not tell you how many people constantly are coming up at meetings like that and this past weekend specifically saying thank you uh, to for the Freedom Caucus and the work that we're doing. You know, people want fighters these days, and uh, you certainly have that in the Freedom Caucus. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and that was a great event, and thank you for attending. Um, for, our, for the listeners, uh, we, we had hundreds of our activists in Atlanta um, the last weekend, and uh, Congressman Heiss, as well as some of his colleagues, were able to come in and rally the troops and get folks fired up. But but we've been doing these events around the country, and I'll tell you, I um, I, I think you could probably feel it. But at that event, the energy was high, uh, the the determination to keep fighting was high, um, and people are really concerned. They are really concerned about what's happening right now in Washington this week. What's happening in Washington? What may happen over the course of the next few months? Um, and then, moreover, they're concerned about the big conversation we're going to have in this country for the next year um, because it's going to set so much of the direction. So that's why um, we love getting folks like you, you know, in front of our people because there really is a mind melt there and it's a time to strategize and think about how we present our, our message to the American people. Well, and, and I don't know of any organization that does it any better than, than you all do and what you do here for members of Congress as well. I do want to get into what's happening this week with yeah. the impeachment uh, 
show yeah. uh, still underway. And I also want to hit on a couple of other things as we go along. But before we get there, I do want to go back to th- this past weekend being with uh, all of you there in Atlanta, the Sentinels, yeah. uh, as, as y'all refer to your grassroots yeah. activist. And, and I tell you, they are phenomenal uh, boots on the ground, standing for and fighting for our conservative principles. But let's go there. There, there may be some people who are listening to the podcast now not quite as familiar with Heritage Action as, as others may be. Why don't you just tell our listeners uh, just, just kind of the basics, what you do, uh, why you do it, how you do it, those type of things. Happy to. Heritage Action was founded in 2010. We're an affiliated organization with the Heritage Foundation. That's an organization that's been around almost five decades now in Washington, D.C., and has really stood for true north on conservative principles over the course of that time. But what we did, what we decided in 2010 was we needed to take it to the next level. We needed to be able to, you know, take the ideas that the Heritage Foundation stood for, but then have a sister organization, an affiliate organization that could go and work the politics of this um, and work at the grassroots level to promote those ideas. So the concept was simple. We said, look, you know, it's not enough to just walk into a member of Congress's office with a great white paper that outlines all the merits of the argument. You know this. Unfortunately, in Washington, too many members don't vote based on the merits. They vote based on the politics. Um, And that's something the Freedom Caucus has been trying to change, and we're trying to change as well. But we also are going to acknowledge reality. Let's then make the politics align with the merits. That's what we want to do. And so we've created a grassroots program across this country. We call it the Sentinel Program. These people are leaders in their communities. They have deep roots in their community. They have authentic presences and authentic relationships Um, And I think that is the wave of the future for Republican conservative activism. You have to have a presence. You have to be there. You have to be a real member of the community. You know, the party um, too often has just parachuted into districts and states in the last 60 days of an election or the last, you know, three months or whatever or whatever it is. Um, And that comes off as inauthentic and it comes off as um, as untrustworthy. And so we want to be the organization that fills that void. We want to be the organization that says, look, we've got people here. And when, when a member of Congress reads the white paper, we want that member to go home and then hear the same exact arguments from their constituents. And that is a really much more powerful way to deliver your message and to create incentives for members of Congress um, to do the right thing. And especially when members are doing the right thing, then to back them up. Um, and so what we've created that network and, and where we're, where we're going now, and this is, I, I gave a speech at the conference the other day. And what I was, what I was saying was, th- was that the next year and a half is tremendously important for us to cast a vision about conservatism. Now, look, the left is going to make this all about politics, all about personalities. If we make it about ideas, we win. We've done a ton of polling work over the last year in swing states, um, and in swing districts and national polling work. And we found that on almost 70% of the issues where we want to have a head-to-head battle and we present a binary choice to people, we beat Elizabeth Warren's ideas or Bernie Sanders' ideas with our ideas. And so what we've been doing is thinking very strategically about how to take that policy agenda and use it as a tool to hold a coalition together that's a majority of the American people. And when I talk about this coalition, I've been talking about it a lot lately. I think it's important for people to understand what it is. The coalition of 2016 was Tea Party, regular conservative, true blue, you know, conservative folks in one hand. Then your suburban Republicans. And we had some problems with them in 2018, and we need to keep them in the coalition. And then critically, 
working class Americans, who many of them voted for Obama in previous elections, but came over and voted for Trump in the last election. Uh, this stat that blows my mind is 10% of Bernie Sanders' primary voters ended up, when he was defeated by Hillary, ended up crossing the aisle and voting wow. for Trump. Okay, without those 10%, we lose Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. And Hillary Clinton is president of the United States. So at Heritage Action, we're thinking very critically about how to keep them in the fold. I think that's a really important task for conservatives. And we can do it because our policies work for working class Americans. But too often, we've let the left caricature us um, and dictate to the American people what we stand for. And we're trying to change that. Well, we thank you so much for the work that you're doing and the, the Sentinels. And I can just tell you, they do a great job in the 10th District of Georgia of staying connected with me, staying in communication with me. Uh, and we have a great relationship with them. They are uh, just uh, an incredible group that you've thank established you. across the country. Let's shift gears, Tim, if we can, a little bit. I, you know, as as uh, this is going on, I think uh, as we're talking here this week, we all know the talk of the town, the talk of the nation right now is impeachment. All the uh, attention, all the oxygen in the room is certainly going in that direction. And the circus is well underway here in Washington, D.C. Uh, Adam Schiff and Nancy Pelosi, uh, as we all know, are finally holding some open hearings. Yep. Uh, the way I look at this, he has had almost two months now of auditioning in, in the bunker of the Capitol, people that he, behind closed doors, wanted to talk to, and now he's bringing out those that he believes are his star witnesses, if we can kind of use that analogy. But as Jim Jordan says, a, a, a sham uh, is still a sham, regardless of having open hearings or not. Let, give your thoughts just overall to begin with here on this whole impeachment sure. process. Yeah, well, I like that analogy. I, I'd also use another similar analogy as to a play. And it was, I don't know if you saw Brian Stelter on CNN um, early this week. Um, he kind of got in trouble because he was quoting a, uh, a, a, a senior operative on the Democratic side in the House um, who was saying that this, the first act of this play had to be absolutely riveting. And if the first act wasn't riveting, they were afraid that the American people would tune out. So they are very much viewing this as a play. You're, you're correct that they've been auditioning people and they've identified their lead actresses and their, and their supporting actors and all of that. Um, and that really is, um, that is a disservice to the American people because this is a tremendously serious process. And it absolutely is within Congress's right to do this, okay? We all believe in Article 2. But if you're going to do this, you better be serious about it. And it doesn't look very serious to me. It looks to me... Unfortunately, like something that's been baked in the cake for a long, long time. And we saw, you know, we saw all of the we're going to impeach the blank blank, you know, all of that kind of stuff from day one when this president was sworn in. And it's just tragic. It's tragic because it's wasted time. It's wasted opportunity. You know, what we were talking about just a second ago in terms of trying to present a conservative agenda uh, that holds the coalition together. They don't want that. Okay, so it's in their interest to kind of be focused on these high stakes, really volatile, really divisive political issues, and they think that plays to their advantage. We keep we need to keep talking about what they're not doing. Absolutely, and there's there's a lot that we're not doing. I mean, funding the military, funding the government for yep. that matter, dealing with the the deficit, USMCA and trade deal. I mean, there's yep. so many uh, lowering drug prices. Yep. All these things are on the hearts and minds of people. But when you talk about this thing not being serious. I couldn't agree with you anymore. I just I go back and look. About a month ago, the most important person in the world 
to Adam Schiff was a whistleblower. We were going to hear from the whistleblower, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. We had to get him in front of the, the uh, at one of these hearings. And then it is discovered that Adam Schiff and his staff had been coordinating right. with the whistleblower. And right. now, all of a sudden, we're not going to hear from the whistleblower. It's irrelevant. We've had people with second and third and fourth hand information giving us information and blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. The whole thing is political theater. It is nothing but a witch hunt, a sham to harm the president. The evidence is simply not there. You need to look no further than the transcript itself. Yeah, it's all laid out in front of you. And the whistleblower, I mean, the media reaction to the whistleblower is so revealing. It is unbelievably revealing because the media now has put themselves in the position of wanting less information out there, right? Unbelievable. Right? And but now imagine if this if the shoe were on the other foot. You know, they'd be the first ones to say we need all, all the, information the information made public. Transparency. We need transparency. We need to know people's motives. All of this kind of stuff. But the media reaction tells you the whole story here. Um, so it's just you know it, it's it's frustrating. But I I gotta believe that through this process that people can end up seeing it for what it was because it has been. I think the American people at their core know that this was coming no matter what. This was kind of, this was a party that sent the signals very early, early on, early you know, on. and it was on its way. So now it's going to happen, and I kind of feel like this cake is baked. People know that the House is going to do what the House is going to do, um, and then it's up to us to kind of go out there and make the case that this was uh, that, that this was an abdication of duty on the House's part, frankly, because the House is not doing what it should be doing. All right. Well, let's get to that. From your perspective, with Heritage Action and your Sentinels all across the country, what what are you hearing? from people throughout America as it relates to this impeachment inquiry and what it's doing compared with yeah. the work that the American people ought to be doing, be it trade deals, lowering drug prices, some of these other things. What, what are the people saying? Yeah, I mean, so we we have found, um, a, we found a lot of issue areas where we think we can do really well. Um, through that polling that I mentioned, um, we were able to identify four critical areas. So we need to be working on culture. We need to be working on immigration. We need to be working on the future of jobs and the uh, and education, and then the economy. Look, those are four buckets, and you can fit a lot of things into those buckets. But let's just talk about a few of them. There's overwhelming there's overwhelming uh, desire for um, for some answers on the future of work and the future of education. So things like job training, right? How can we get the next le uh, level of the workforce trained up and ready to roll? Everyone knows there's jobs to be had across this country. Everyone knows that. They're a little bit anxious about whether automation or other forces are going to push them out of jobs in a while, but they know there are jobs right now. So what can we do to do that? So we, here's an example of a piece of legislation. We just introduced a piece of legislation in the Senate uh, with Mike Lee, who you know well. Uh, and this, it's called the HERO Act, Higher Education Reform and Opportunity Act. It's a very simple concept. What we're doing is we're saying, look, there is a federal Pell Grant program right now. That federal Pell Grant program sends money to only people who go to four-year liberal arts schools. But why is it that we should only be propping those people up when there are tons of other ways in this country to get ahead and build the American dream? So we want to open that funding stream up to people who, would be, who want to go have vocational training, technical training, whether you want to get into a trade or something like that, so that we're not discriminating against working-class Americans in, on behalf of the kind of middle to upper middle class. So very simple job training programs like that. And this is done at the state level, by the way, not the federal level. We don't want federal job training. So we want some innovative policy proposals like that to keep that Republican coalition together. You mentioned USMCA. 
clearly. That's something we're very supportive of and want to work on. Immigration reform is out there to be had. The president's doing some really good things on immigration right now. He's done two executive orders that I think are spot on, and they're very, very targeted. He's saying, look, this is simple. If you're going to get a visa or a green card to come into our country, we want you to prove that you're not going to be a drain on social services in our country. We want you to be a net contributor. And so that's another, that's another type of uh, policy proposal that we've seen that really helps keep that coalition together. So simple things like that. But we're getting blocked by liberal judges on the president's executive orders. We're getting blocked by Nancy Pelosi on USMCA. There's zero interest from the left in terms of some of the, uh, in some of the stuff that we want to do on the jobs front. And then the final thing I'd throw out there, and the president's right to do this. He just announced something that we've been arguing for for a long time. He wants to think about a targeted middle-class tax cut going into this election. I think that's correct. I think, look, we know that, that the Tax Cut and Jobs Act helped middle-class Americans tremendously. But let's help them some more, and let's do a targeted tax cut. How is the left going to fight back against a targeted tax cut? Bernie Sanders said that's what he wanted was a tax cut for middle class. So let's put that there out there on the table, and let's— focus on these issues and have the Democrats being the ones saying no. And then that allows us and our Sentinels to go into these districts across the country and hold a lot of these so-called moderate Democrats accountable. We, we've only got about a, a minute or two left here, Tim. But let's, uh, as you're talking about the economy, I cannot help but recognize the fact that just this past week we went over the $23 trillion mark in debt uh, in this country, and we we are having record revenue. Uh, the, the The issue is not a revenue problem; we have a spending problem, and unfortunately, both sides of the aisle are addicted to spending. Uh, but in in the last minute that we have here, talk about if you can sum it up in that short of time. Uh, what what does this debt mean to our economy uh, as we go forward? Well, it's going to be crippling to the economy. And that is the one threat looming um, that if we, and we, this is, and let's just be honest, you and I both know, this is a bipartisan problem that we can do better on on our side. Um, and we've got to get serious about bringing proposals to the table that will actually turn this around. The problem is we as conservatives haven't done a good enough job convincing a majority of the country that this is a, a threat that could cripple the economy. We need to double down on that argument and make the arguments better. And then we probably need some better policy proposals to deal with it. And I think we need to change our framework in thinking about it. I think the framework needs to become not about what we're going to propose at the federal level, but how we're going to devolve power to the states. And if we can devolve power to the states, look, California is always going to be a big spender, but then they're going to have to live with the results. And if they know there's going to be no federal backstop, then we can actually do things in great states like Georgia and Texas and other states across this country that really want to get a hold of this and set examples. If we can apply a federalism framework to this question, we might be able to actually begin to show how to push spending down. Great point. And the reality of is if this debt is crippling to the economy, at the end of the day, it's crippling the individual families and personal yep. lives as well. Everyone suffers. Well, listen, Tim, I want to thank you so much for the phenomenal work you do at uh, Heritage Action and for coming on the program today. It's been an honor to have you. No, thank you for having me. Well, folks, listen, we're out of time for this episode. I want to thank you so much for joining us. We always appreciate it. And uh, listen, if you enjoy this program, we'd appreciate it if you take some time to rate and subscribe. Review this on iTunes or SoundCloud. And for more information about the Freedom Caucus specifically, you can always follow along on Facebook.com slash Freedom Caucus and on Twitter, simply at Freedom Caucus. Again, till next time, hope you have a fantastic day. Jody Heiss signing off. We'll see you next time.